Welcome back, everyone, to the Risk Intel podcast, powered by SRA, where we share risk intelligence from experts across the banking industry. I'm your host, Ed Vincent, Executive Vice President at SRA. Michael, when considering why banks should care about enterprise risk management, there are two particularly significant thresholds when a bank approaches a billion dollars in assets and $10 billion in assets. Why is enterprise risk management especially important in those two instances? Yeah, great question. And first of all, a lot of those two uh, growth points have a lot of significance from a regulatory examination perspective. So, you know, if you're managing a bank that's 900 million and a bank that's, you know, over a billion, a billion to two billion, uh, it's gonna feel very much similar. You know, there's, there's, and as a matter of fact, there's no magic point, uh, you know, where a flag comes up and says, boy, now you're, you know, you're crossing over a billion and this is the exact time uh, that other infrastructure gets put, needs to be put in place. But regulators look at that moving over the billion and asset mark as a, a way to really focus on banks to say, do you have the basic infrastructure in place that you need now that you're, you're hitting a billion? And we get a calls from a lot of banks that uh, whose regulators have been in, they're 800 million, 900 million. And they ask the question, are you guys ready for going over a billion? You know, when it comes to the actual regulations themselves, uh, there's not a threshold uh, at that billion dollar mark. Uh, that's quite different from the $10 billion mark, which we'll talk about separately. But uh, it's almost a growing up, uh, so to speak, in the regulator's eyes where a bank has a certain size. And here's a few things that you'll want to consider hitting that billion in asset mark. Number one, if you don't have a chief risk officer when you're approaching a billion, uh, hiring a chief risk officer, you know, shortly after going over the billion, I think is a good idea. And this should be a position that reports uh, to the CEO or the chief operating officer fairly high level in the organization, doesn't have to report to the board, doesn't have to report to the CEO necessarily. Sometimes we see them uh, reporting to the chief legal officer. Uh, Could that CRO, uh, that chief risk officer, wear multiple hats? Um, Could that person also be responsible for compliance or, or, or other areas? Or really, as you get to that billion dollar mark, is it wanting to partition that that risk position off independently and autonomously and separately? Yeah, in some cases we see uh, separate hats. For instance, uh, the most likely hats that we see were a a chief risk officer overseeing the compliance hat or vendor management uh, hat. So those are, are, are real common hats. And in many cases, the chief compliance officer gets appointed to that chief risk officer role. So they they carry that hat with them. Uh, there are certain areas that you know I would recommend against having a direct report, uh, a chief risk officer reporting to a chief financial officer. And the reason is that the role of the chief risk officer is to independently assess 
the first line, which uh, could be the chief operating officer, chief financial officer. Uh, so they want to see uh, the first line, which is the business uh, managed control separate from the second line. And the second line is defined as uh, an independent risk organization, independent of the operations, uh, separate then from the third line, which is uh, internal audit. Now, at still at a billion dollars, we start to see the chief risk officer overseeing audit and risk management. And for a period of time, I don't think this is, you know, a big issue, but eventually internal audit, you'll, you'll want to report separately to the audit committee of the board uh, and then risk management to either the risk committee of the board or the, the full board uh, from a reporting standpoint. So separating that first, second, and third line uh, of defense out. Operating uh, departments is first line. Risk management and compliance uh, is second line. And third line uh, is internal audit. So I, I would say uh, having a dedicated chief audit executive at a billion and over is highly recommended. And that's where you'll see a lot of emphasis from the regulators. Having a separate chief risk officer or head of enterprise risk management is recommended right at a billion. Uh, and I would say more formalization around your risk assessment start to come into play uh, where you were doing things more informally or ad hoc. Now you'll wanna do things uh, more formally. Uh, now uh, going over 10 billion has a lot of regulatory context behind it. And it's a major, major change for banks. Number one, uh, banks are going to be paying more on their interchange fees. So they're going to be making less money when they go over $10 billion in assets. But from a regulatory perspective, there's a handful of regulations that specify once you go over $10 billion in assets, that you'll need to put more formal infrastructure in place. And not only are the regulations there, uh, the uh, uh, you'll see that the regulators change structure at that point. So, well, uh, there's a regulatory body called uh, regional bank examiners. And so there's a whole separate team of regulators for banks above 10 billion. Then there is kind of general regulators uh, below 10 billion. And typically, if you're below 10 billion in assets, they have an annual safety and soundness exam uh, for many of the prudential regulators. Uh, and there's one report that gets issued once a year with a team of generalists. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll get used to that. It really feels comfortable. Once they go to over 10 billion, the regional bank examiners tend to do anywhere from eight to 10 exams per year. And they're very specialized exams, like an exam on enterprise risk management, an exam on capital management, an exam on data management. And they go deep, deep down, and you'll find out how, how unready you are for an exam like that when they do start doing deep dives uh, on these particular products uh, and services. At the end of the year, they take the regulators take these 10 exams and they uh, aggregate them together into a safety and soundness report. 
you know, they fill in the gaps and they they create a report. So the things that you should be concerned about it, it, if you're going over 10 billion in assets are one, uh, do you have, have you formally looked at your risk and control structure and identified all those gaps that you have from under 10 to over 10? And uh, so we would recommend doing a gap assessment or risk maturity assessment to make sure uh, that you're in compliance with SR 13-1, for instance, is internal audit bar raising with a lot of additional uh, requirements. Uh, SR 12-7 is uh, for banks above 10 billion uh, stress testing, both capital stress testing, liquidity stress testing, uh, and and uh, credit stress testing and making sure that that's done uh, properly. And uh, and then the bar gets raised with ERM, with model risk management and, and the other topics. So I would say, you know, uh, go through the, the regulatory guidance again, uh, identify, do you have the right number of people in your staff? Typically you're adding staff at 10 billion in assets. Benchmark yourself against other uh, organizations, if you can, uh, and making make sure you have the right systems in place. So going over ten is a big deal. Uh, most banks that we're that we work with uh, have outside help doing that, uh, an outside consulting firm. Some some people choose to do it themselves. And uh, if you have a tool like the RMA's risk maturity assessment, it's a great tool. If you if you complete that tool. Uh, to identify your gaps kind of under 10 billion and gaps over 10 billion. But don't wait to you add till you go over 10 to do the gap assessment. You, you want like, some lead time. Sounds like the regulators will already be in there and they'll be in your kitchen at that point in time. So yeah. planning, planning and so that you can put yourself in, in the best position for that regulatory exam that you know is coming. That's exactly right. And and the RMA risk maturity. Uh, framework is also a good tool when you're going below a billion to above a billion. While there's not a lot of regulatory guidance, uh, you'll see that the maturity model was developed. Uh, we, we had help developing that tool with 10 chief risk officers across the banking industry that uh, have been through that process before. So uh, either utilizing some sort of tool or utilizing an outside expert uh, to help you with those gaps. And then my recommendation is in both cases, develop a three-year roadmap uh, because you can't get all this stuff done, you know, in one quarter or one year and share that three-year roadmap with your board and your management team in terms of what you're planning to do over, over three years. Start setting expectations that there needs to be an investment in risk management and control instead of if bringing requests uh, to the management team and board one off, have a comprehensive plan for your movement from you know under a billion to over a billion, under uh, you know 10 billion to over 10. And by the way, for those of you out there, if you're going over 50 billion and now you have to uh, uh, pay attention to enhanced prudential standards, uh, it's a good time to do a gap assessment as well. So that three-year vision or, or plan, is, is the regulator 
um, going to expect that to be completed by the time you reach that threshold, or will they give you some leeway if they see a plan that you have in place? Uh, Ed, that's a great question. Um, they they want to see the plan first because what they're going to do is come in Ed, and identify where your gaps are. So you're one step ahead if you've already identified those gaps and you have a plan over time to close those gaps that's approved by your uh, management risk committee and your board risk committee. Uh, most regulators will just let you, you know, go on that timeline and, uh, you know, add that infrastructure over time. So it's your best offense and defense. It's a real great defensive strategy to have that plan, share it with the regulators, and now they know kind of what the bank's plans are. And don't forget to get board uh, approval, the board risk committee approval, because that makes it all official for you. That that puts it on a, a pedestal for the regulators as well as the management team. My last kind of follow-up on, on this question is you mentioned a risk maturity framework and you mentioned risk assessments. Can you elaborate on those a little bit and the importance of, of each of those? Yeah, it, it, uh, it's a good question because there's a lot of confusion between what is a risk maturity framework, what is a risk assessment. Uh, I've heard some people say, well, they're the same thing. The, the maturity frameworks are designed uh, to help you evaluate how effective uh, your team is in, in putting the structure together and putting the information together. Uh, so it's really about how good are we, where are the gaps, where do we need to improve uh, you know, our organization, the risk organization. And then the risk assessments are done of each unit in the organization to say, how risky is the ACH department? How risky is IT? So now we, we move away from how effective overall are we in managing risk to, hey, how much risk do we have in each department and in sub-department? Uh, and collectively, how much risk do we have as a whole in the bank? So it, it could be that you have a very well-developed risk framework with the right people, the right software, but that you're managing a real risky bank. For instance, um, if you have a bank that has uh, digital assets or crypto, you can be really risky, but you might have a really strong framework to, to manage that. So those, those two are separate and distinct. And uh, I'm glad you asked that question because that can, that can cause a lot of confusion. Great, thanks Michael. For more information on SRA, please visit srarisk.com. Watch or listen to our weekly Risk Intel podcast series or follow us on LinkedIn to learn more.